0: Life, a transfer to Caesarea, where he languished in prison for two whole years, an appeal to Caesar the emperor, his being put on a ship, sent for Rome, and then shipwrecked, washed up on the shores of the island of Malta, bitten by a venomous snake. <laughs> Remember the story where the snake latched onto his hand with no ill effects? People expect him to die, and instead he thrives and keeps throwing wood on the fire and warms himself. And then they think he's a god, and then he's taken on to Rome, and you think, well, something's happened, and then he's back in jail. And that's really kind of where the story ends as far as we know it with any historical accuracy. And Paul says all that, from Acts 21 to 28, I want you to know that all that, what has happened to me, has really served to advance the gospel. Now think about this. That's a lot of weighty, hardship and loss, and for a man who is committed, not just getting to Rome to preach there, but at the end of the book of Romans, he says, I'm planning on getting to Rome so that you can help me get to Spain because I want to preach where the gospel has never been preached before, and it's up to you to raise the money to get me there. And here he is in prison, and he says, I don't know how this fits in the big picture. I just know this, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want you to see this passage that we've just read in the context of its bookends, because that word advance is a rather unusual word. It's only used three times in the entire New Testament, twice in the passage we've just read. It's unusual in that it's it's a military word, a pioneering word. It means primarily to move forward into an area where there are lots of obstacles. It's literally the word to chop down. It's to cut down the trees that stand in the way of an advancing army. Or if you're in a jungle, we were talking about this, the, the, the TV show Survivor or Alone, right? And you got this, you got to get through this jungle and you got a machete and you're hacking down whatever blocks your progress so that you can actually get where you're intended to go. That's the word, advance. It's not just making progress but it's cutting down all the obstacles that stand in the way of the desired and designed progress. What I'd like you to see, though, is that this is not just how Paul talks about the advance of the gospel across the world. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, but he's also going to use that word to talk about how the, advanced, how the gospel advances within me and how it advances within you. The point of all of this is Paul is saying, this is how the gospel works. This is how the gospel works in the context of a new church being planted, and how the gospel will work through you in this community, and across central California, and across the country, and maybe even across the world. But it's also going to talk about how the gospel works within you personally, how the gospel advances within your marriage, How the gospel advances in the way that you parent. All of that is in this passage, and what you'll discover are the two are inseparably linked. You can't talk about one without talking about the other. I could say it more strongly. That is, the gospel will only advance across the world as the gospel advances more deeply within me. It's not going to advance across the world unless it first advances deeply within me." And that's what we'll see in this passage. So two trajectories in this advance, the gospel for you, within you, and the gospel through you for the world. We'll look at both. First of all, briefly, the gospel is advancing across the world. Paul talks about it first in the context of a wider audience, secondly, a greater courage, and third, a clearer proclamation. Look at them just briefly in verse 13. He says, uh, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Do you realize that whole imperial guard refers to about 9,000 soldiers? And at the end of the letter, he's going to say, those in Caesar's household send their greetings to you, meaning that there are people in Rome who take care of Caesar's work, who have become followers of Jesus and hence brothers and sisters in Christ to the first recipients of this letter because Paul was imprisoned there. 9,000 soldiers, the whole imperial guard, are aware that this guy is in prison right here because of Jesus. Something about Jesus has him here. And he has a whole new audience to unpack that and at least years within which to do it. There's a wider audience. Secondly, there's greater courage. Three times in verse 14, you find that language having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. There's a wider audience, there's a greater courage, and then there's a clearer proclamation. Five times you find that language of declaring, defending, proclaiming the gospel. It's the target of what Paul is about. The gospel has to be given through words. I know we quote the the assumed statement by Augustine, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Look, the gospel always requires words. And it's a cop-out to say, well, I'm going to live the gospel and just let someone else articulate what this means. It always takes words. And look at how often Paul speaks about this in verses 14 and following. He says, they're more confident, bold, to speak the word without fear. Verse 15, to preach the word. Verse 16, the defense of the gospel. 17, to proclaim Christ, over and over, verse 18, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. A wider audience, a greater courage, a clearer proclamation, the gospel is advancing. That's his point. That's the obvious part that he's declaring. The question is, who's actually doing the work? When you go back to the book of Acts and listen to how Luke records Paul's missionary reports, And over and over again, Paul says things like this, Acts 14, 27, they gathered the church together and Paul reported all that God had done through them. Acts 15, 4, they reported everything God had done through them. Acts 21, 19, Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry with no exceptions that I can find anywhere in the New Testament, when Paul talks about what God had done in the planting and particularization, if they had such a thing, back then of churches, he said, let me tell you about what God has done through our ministry. He never says, let me tell you about what I've done or what Barnabas did. This is not our particular work. It's God's work. It's his church, but he does his work through us And that'll become really important as we come and look at the other trajectory, which is where I want us to turn now. The gospel will advance across the world, secondly, only as it's advancing more deeply within our lives personally. That's really what he talks about in verse 25. When he says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That word progress, for your progress and joy in the faith is the exact same word in the Greek as the advance of the gospel going through you. Matter of fact, it's not just the same root word, it's the same spelling, it's the same context, it's identical. And it's as if Paul wanted to make it very clear that there's bookends to this advancing work, this church planting work that Paul was all about. He wasn't just a missionary to win converts, all of Paul's work was to plant churches ordain elders and deacons and particularize them and say, you have authority and responsibility now to reach the community in which you exist. And what he's saying here is the gospel advances all throughout the world as the gospel advances within you. He uses the same word, only in English it's translated for your progress and joy in the faith. Here it is. John Piper says... God is always doing at least 10,000 different things in your life, and you might be aware of three of them. And the part you are aware of may not make any sense to you. But here's what you can know of for certain. Jesus is committed to building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is committed to the ingathering of his people, his elect, and the, the return of Christ will come when the last one numbered among the elect turns to Christ in repentance and faith, and the kingdom, the kingdom will break into our experience in ways we've never before seen it. But it's waiting for the ingathering of all of God's people. That's what we long for. It's what we pray for. It's what we minister toward. And here Paul is saying that in order for it to spread and advance outward, it has to spread and advance inward. And only as it advances more deeply within me and more deeply within you will it advance more broadly among the lives of the people to whom we minister. That's what God is about in the 10,000 different things that He's doing right now. He's advancing the gospel more deeply within you. I don't know what's happened to you. I know a few of your stories, but very few. I learned a few this morning. Some stories of heartache and brokenness, stuff's hard. I don't know why exactly God has put you and me in the places that he has. I do know this. It is by design to advance the gospel more deeply within me. John Piper goes on to say in his book, Finally Alive, which is all about regeneration and the new birth, he says, God's purpose in redemption is not simply to lead us to believe the truth, but to love the truth and so to be radically transformed by it. Listen to this. His mission in your life is not simply to call you to new desires. Rather, let me say it differently. His mission in your life is not simply to call you to new duties, but to new desires. Not simply to new deeds, but to new delights. Not simply to new tasks, but to new treasures. What's taking place in your life? Why is it there? (laughs) It's because he wants to bring about greater desires, greater delights, and greater treasures in your life so that Jesus becomes your deepest joy, your highest delight, and your greatest passion. And as that becomes increasingly visible, the gospel will advance. That's his design. It will advance. It cannot but advance. It's what Jesus has promised so the question comes back to this, is the gospel advancing more deeply in your life? I'll ask it a little bit more specifically. How would your wife answer that question about your life? Let me pull back the lens a little bit more broadly. Is it evident to the people around you that the gospel really is advancing more deeply in your life, reshaping your desires, your delights, and your treasures? Is it visibly evident I ask that question because Paul would ask that question. Matter of fact, the third time this word, to advance, shows up in the New Testament is in 1 Timothy 4.15, where Paul says to his young protege, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress, so that all may see the advance. Only three times that word shows up in the New Testament. Each time is looking at the gospel going more deeply and the gospel going more broadly. You can summarize it this way. What goes deepest to your heart goes widest to your world. Let me add one word. Only what goes deepest to your heart goes widest to your world. And Paul asks, is it evident what's going deepest to your heart? The logical answer is, of course it is. Of course it's evident. Your kids know what's most deeply rooted in your heart. Your spouse knows what's most precious to you. It might be Jesus or it might be your job. It might be your reputation amongst the people that you value highly. It may be the place you live, your career, uh, your net worth. But what it comes down to is this. What's gone deepest to your heart, and that and only that is going to go wide to your world Jesus is committed to building his church. He's committed to gathering in his people, and he's committed to using people like you and me in the process. The question is, is the prerequisite happening? Is the gospel going more deeply? Is it becoming more deeply rooted in your heart? The question then is, how would you know? What are the marks of the gospel going more deeply, advancing more deeply to your heart? Paul answers that for us in this passage. He gives at least five different pictures. I'll run through them very briefly. First of all, there's a deeper repentance. That's in verse 25. He says, I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in your faith. Remember the the word progress is really a cutting down of the obstacles that stand in the way of forward movement. At the core, what that is is repentance. It's cutting down those things that block Jesus becoming more precious to you. We all have them. A brother prayed in his prayer of confession that God would help us to see them, that we ourselves would see them as clearly as those who, are, who live most closely to us see them. See, I've got blindness in my life. I'm blind to most of the things that block my progress, but my wife sees them, and my kids, sure enough, see them. The people alongside of whom I work, my neighbors, they see the obstacles. They don't draw them nearer to Christ, they actually repel them when they see them, which is why repentance is one of the key issues, looking to the presence of power of the Holy Spirit in union with Christ, one of the key issues in turning us back and causing the gospel to go more deeply to our lives. The second picture evidence of the gospel going more deeply is an abounding love. He talks about that in verse nine. He says, I pray, um, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, a growing love, a love that deepens in knowledge and depth of insight. A love that's the opposite of the indifference that naturally dwells within us because the opposite of love is not hate. (laughs) The opposite of love is the shoulder shrug. The indifference, the yawn that says, must be hard for you, tell me how that goes. Paul is praying for a, a love that deepens in its compassion, in its knowledge, in its insight, in its willingness to engage in the lives of the people who live around us. Third, a growing courage. Verse 20, he says, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, that's another mark. Would the people around you, the people who know you best, would they say, there's greater courage in my wife to face hard things. There's greater courage in my husband to say the things that need to be said. There's greater courage in my parents to confront their teenage kids when confrontation's a hard thing. It's easier just to say nothing and hope peace resumes at some point. Fourth mark is a deeper desire for Christ. Verse 21, Paul says it very plainly. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Verse 23, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Is there a deeper and deeper desire for Jesus? Not just to know about him, but to say more than anything else, I want him. Of course, we have all of him in union with Christ. All that is his is ours, he is ours completely. But experientially, I want more. I want so much more than I've known to this point. Don't you? Paul talks about this from the perspective of life and death and says, you know, life offers us so much. Uh, There's so much good in in being around family and friends and people who are dear to us. And I want to live. But he says to die is better by far. He sets things life and death in the context of what we get after death. Uh, More of Jesus. I was um, reading an um, article in the the Atlantic Monthly magazine, and they were talking about um, a new telephone app called We Croak. Has any of you read that article? It was fascinating. We Croak. Um, One of those 99-cent apps that you download to your phone, and at random times throughout the day, five times every day, it's going to ping your phone, and it'll say, remember, you're going to die. It's on my phone now. and (laughs) Fascinating. The article was brilliant, but the practice, the experience of it, brings to mind something that in our culture we don't like to think about. I can be in the middle of a conflict with my wife, and all of a sudden my phone pings, remember, you're going to die. Sobering, isn't it? I can be planning our next trip and making all these grand designs and where we're going to spend our time and where we'll spend ping. Remember, you're going to die. It puts life back into perspective to where we can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know which to choose. I mean, it's great to stay. It's great to die. That would be better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain. What if every moment of every day we had the ping that said, remember, this is really temporary. And what if the way we related to people had in view constantly, this is temporary, but what's coming is forever. And the person that I'm, in a conflict with right now, whether it's a coworker or a neighbor whose cat keeps wandering in my yard and dancing with muddy feet all over my clean car, and the irritation you feel, what if, wait a minute. (laughs) Remember, you're gonna die. Your neighbor's gonna die. And then you'll stand before God's throne and you'll give an account. And she will either look at you and say, with wonder and maybe tears streaming down her face, thank you. Thank you for not letting my cat alienate you from me. Thank you for loving me toward Jesus. Thank you, because of you, I'm here. Or, with horror on her face realizing that she'll spend eternity apart from Jesus and all along you knew, you knew the truth, and yet the cat irritated you to the point that you didn't want to talk to her. Remember, you're gonna die. Remember, she's going to die. What if that pinged constantly? Paul is saying one of the marks that the gospel is going more deeply into your heart is the ping is there. You're thinking not just about Monday morning's coming, where do I have to be, who would I have to meet with, what projects do I really want to put off, and what's looming large that I don't want to face, but instead you think Jesus, Jesus really is coming back. There is an accounting, and I want to have the delight of hearing him say, boy? well done, well done. Isn't that what you want? It sure is what I want. The fifth mark.